All right, let's start with the Nokar Mantra. Om Namo Arihantanam, Om Namo Sitanam, Om Namo Ayadiyanam, Om Namo Vachayanam, Namo Luesavasahunam, Esu Panchanamo Karo, Salva Pava Panasano, Mangalalancha Salvesim, Paramam Have Mangalam, Paramam Have Mangalam. Once upon a time, there was a fellow who was friends with six blind men. So, wondering what to do uh, with six blind people, he took them to see an elephant. The first blind man touched the legs of the elephant and said, the elephant is like a pillar. The second blind man touched the trunk of an elephant and said, an elephant is like a python. The third man touched the tusk of the elephant and said, an elephant is like a pipe. The fourth blind man touched the abdomen of the elephant and said, an elephant is like a drum. The fifth touched the tail of the elephant and said, an elephant is like a long rope. And the sixth touched the ears of the elephant and said, an elephant is like a huge fan. Obviously, an elephant is none of these things, um, but parts of the elephant are like these things. And so the moral of the story is that we are the blind men and we are trying to describe reality by only looking at pieces of reality rather than seeing reality as it is. And it's true, right? We are so caught up in our senses that we think that that's all there is. Remember, you only see a very small window of the light spectrum, which we call visible light. There's much more out there. If you could see ultraviolet, if you could see infrared, if you could see all these things, you'd see, you know, your Wi-Fi going through your house or radio waves going back and forth across the earth. You basically wouldn't be able to see anything because everything would be so chaotic and confusing. If remember, many animals can hear better than us. Dogs, for instance, can hear things we cannot hear. We only hear a certain part of the spectrum. That is, we, and we mistakenly believe that that is all that exists. Same thing with smell. Some animals can smell so keenly, they can smell diseases in people before we can diagnose them. And we have no idea how that works. And same thing with all of our other senses. We see such a very slim sliver of reality. And it's ultimately hubris that we say, that's all there is. That's all that matters. No, that's not all there is. That is just what we can perceive. And so that brings us to chapter 24 of the book, Anikantva. Now, I've said it before, but there are three chapters on Anikantvad, and these three chapters are like the college courses of Jainism. Everything we've discussed so far is like high school Jainism. It's like basic Jainism. Now these take a lot more, uh, a lot more work from you to try to understand. Thanks to everybody who's just joining us. We're talking about chapter 24, Anikanthad. 
I just told everybody that, and, and it's clear that they're written differently too, right? They're written, it's like another person wrote these three chapters uh, because they're so different from what's come before. So let's start off simple with Anikanfad and then let's work our way to get more complicated. So the first example that the book says is, my name is Kirth. My father's name is Prabhudas and my son's name is Amit. Now I am a father and a son at the same time. Yes, how can this be? From Prabhudas's perspective, I'm a son. And from Amit's perspective, I'm a father. Thus both statements are true from their own perspectives. And that's the key here, is that every statement has its own perspective, which we have to understand before we can understand the statement itself. That is, one of the corollaries of that is that we cannot utter an absolute truth because all of our utterances will be from a perspective. Later on, the book says, when a sentence is spoken, we should know from what angle it is spoken. And this is something I try to teach my kids all the time, right? Is that if somebody's talking, ask yourself why they're saying that. And you'll reveal yourself, you'll reveal more truth behind what is being said. Because somebody might be befriending you to swindle you. Somebody might be befriending you because they're lonely. Somebody might be befriending you from some ulterior purpose. You can only know if you ask yourself why this person is saying that and figuring out what perspective that person has. You cannot know just by the simple act of that person befriending you. And it reminds me of when I was in school. We would have a book project to read a book and give a report on the book. And every time the teacher would say, well, okay, let's think about this author. What time did he or she grow up in? What was going on at that time? And we would probably think, why do I need to know that? I just need to know the book. Right. And well, that's actually not true because the book is full of assumptions and biases and the way the person, the author uses language that by just reading the book, you cannot understand the book. You must know about the author, about the time the author lived, about, for example, the philosophies that the author subjected himself to, what he believed in and what he was trying to convey. If you just look at the book, you're not going to get the full meaning of the book. And that's always why our teachers made us do that. And that's, you know, always why students wonder, why do I have to do this? If the author wanted to do that, he would put that stuff in the book, right? If he wanted me to know about it. No, of course he couldn't. He couldn't put all of his biases and all of where he was in the culture and what the prevailing thought of was at the time in the book. There's no way he could do that, right? And still have a book there. So it's important that we, so the thing to take away is that every utterance, and that includes, when I say utterance, I of course mean things you speak, things you write, anytime you try to communicate, it always comes from a perspective. And you have to understand that perspective in order to understand the communication, what is being communicated to you. Here's another reason. The spoken and written language has limitations of expressions. Okay, so language has problems. 
a lot of big problems when we try to speak to each other. What are the problems of language? There are five problems that I can figure out. Uh, language is linear. Okay, words follow each other and sentences follow each other, which cre creates a linear path for you to think about when you are consuming language or words or any utterances. But thoughts aren't linear. Your thoughts are networked like neurons in your brain. So if I'm trying to use a linear logic to represent a networked thought, it's going to be, it's going to be very limited. Second, words are ambiguous. Uh, words mean different things. Third, there are not words for all concepts. A lot of us who are uh, multilingual don't need uh, too much discussion here. There are some words that are very beautiful in other, other languages and describes concepts very succinctly that we don't have in English. The fourth problem of language is that it's not universally, uniformly understood even by those with the same amount of knowledge. That is, if I, when I attempt to understand an utterance, I am bringing to bear my life experience, my education, my understanding of those words, my putting myself in the position of the speaker. And when another person reads that same utterance or hears that same utterance, he's using different variables. So now we have these limitation of languages where of between the education and the life experience of the speaker, the education and the life experience of the listener, and the education and the life experience of the second listener. So now we have a whole jumble of ideas that are not taken the same way. And the fifth limitation of language is that it's not good at describing emotions. We have we have words for complicated emotions such as bittersweet, but really emotions are a mix of, you know, primary and secondary emotions that you're feeling when you go through something. And if we were to try to accurately convey those, let's say, well, you know, I'm feeling a little relief about this event that happened, but I'm a little bit 70% sad that it happened, but, you know, 20% happy that it happened and that equals relief. We have a very limited words we can use when describing our emotions. Our emotional life is much richer than what we can express. Even if we're great at expressing things, even if we're Shakespeare at expressing things, our emotional life or our inner life is much richer than that, than what we can express or what other people can perhaps comprehend. So questions or comments about that. We learned about perspective we learned about why it's important to understand the perspective of a speaker, and we learned about the limitations of language so far. So now we're kind of laying a base for what we're going to call anekanthvad, that we're going to um, sit on top of it. So questions or comments about some of these uh, foundations we're laying? All right, great. So now let's talk about how we know things. There are six substances, and how do we know a substance? Well, there are four different categories of ways we can know a substance or know a thing. The first is lakshana, 
or the characteristics of a substance that makes it unique. So our six substances are souls, the medium of motion, the medium of rest, space, and time. Um, so one of the characteristics of a soul is that it's formless. But this is not what we call a true characteristic because other substances have this characteristic. For example, space and time and the medium of motion and medium rest are formless. They share that characteristic. So we're just not calling it a true characteristic. What is the true characteristic of the soul? That is to know. Um, matter, I think I left out matter in the list. Matter doesn't know anything. The medium of motion, rest, space and time don't know anything. So the true characteristic of a soul is to know. The true characteristic of matter is to have touch, taste, smell. These types of physical characteristics are the true characteristics of matter because the other substances don't have them. That is, the soul doesn't have a smell or the medium of motion doesn't have a taste. So that is one of the true characteristics. So that's the first way to know something is lakshana. The second way to know something is to have true knowledge about it or pramana. And what true knowledge is, is an accumulation of partial knowledge. That is, to have the true point of view of something, you have to have an accumulation of naya or partial points of view. So the blind men had partial points of view. Now, if you can have all of those experiences, you'll have a true point of view. And it's a, just an accumulation of partial points of view. And that's what we call wisdom, right? I used to think that wisdom didn't, doesn't exist. Um, and that's somewhat true because it's not a separate thing other than partial points of view all stuck together. But when you have enough to know something inside out, we call that wisdom. So you have wisdom about something if you're the subject matter expert on it. That is, if you know a lot of the actions and reactions that will take place when a particular thing happens. And you all have that. Um, so, for example, here's a good trick to know if you have wisdom about something. If somebody asks you a simple question about the topic and you answer them in the form of 10 questions about it to clarify their understanding, that's when you have wisdom about it. So if somebody says, hey, Timur, what computer should I get? I'm going to ask them, what do you need to use it for? What programs do you use more often? Do you have an operating system you like? What's your budget? I'm going to ask them things like that. So that means I, that means I have wisdom about it. And I have wisdom about three to four things in my life, and you do too. A good example is this dependent variable example. Let's say you're sitting in front of a, of a machine, and it has 10 knobs on it and there's a meter on top. And your job is to make the meter go as high as possible. Now, if all 10 knobs were independent variables, the your job is very easy. You'd start at the first knob and you'd turn it until the meter went to whatever the highest is. And when it did, you'd leave it there. You'd go to the second knob and you'd turn it and you'd go to whatever the meter um, said was highest and you'd leave it there. And you do that 10 times. And then once you're done, you know that the meter is as high as it could ever go because the variables are independent. 
But with dependent variables, it becomes much trickier. That is, if you turn the knob, <clears throat> the meter does whatever it does. Um, and then you go to the second knob and well, you, it doesn't go as high or uh, as low as it could based on what the first knob said, right? So if the first knob was at one and the meter was high and you turn the second knob to two and the meter was higher, but then the meter was even higher when the first knob was at three, well, now you have dependent variables, right? Because the high, the height of the meter is dependent not only on the individual variables, but how they relate to each other, right? So now you have a very complicated job. And so if you understand dependent variables, you under you have pramana or true knowledge. That is, in the computer example, my budget will be one of the, uh, I'll say, oh, well, if your budget is this and you do a lot of this kind of work, I'm going to get you a fast hard drive and fast RAM, but I don't really care about you know, this other thing or this other thing because they're dependent variables, right? So you probably know, so for example, for my work, if somebody asks me, well, I need IP protection for this technology and here's my budget, I'm gonna say, well, okay, in this budget, you can do this, the best thing to do is this and because we don't have room in the budget, we're gonna scrap this and we're going to use this. So that's dependent variables and that's how one way to understand how you might have true knowledge about something. So the next way of the four characteristics to know something is partial points of view, which we discussed, or naya. And the next way is to understand how words convey meaning, or nikshepa. So there, so remember we're talking about the four different categories to know a substance, and we're talking about the fourth one, and in this fourth one, there are four different ways. So don't get confused on where we are. So the four different types of nikshepa are, number one, name, the name given regardless of the truth or nam. That is, and the book uses this example of a king or raja, okay? So we give things names and that has nothing to do with uh, what they are. So for example, you can give a person the name raja or king, but that doesn't have anything to do with what he is. He's not a king. The second one is symbolic, symbolic truth. That is referring through an image or a idol or a picture or a painting. That is these things contain in themselves the symbol of original of an original object. The third one is potential truth. Or when you refer to something using its past or present condition. So if we refer to a prince as Raja, he's not a prince, but he may become a king. So that describes a potential truth. So we talked about the name or a name given regardless of the truth of something, a symbol. So for example, when we worship an idol, we're using that as a symbol. We don't think that the idol is a soul but it helps us because it's a symbolic truth. The third is a potential truth. That is something that could be what you're describing in the past or the future. And the fourth is actual truth or buff. It means a person being called a king or raja when he's actually carrying the royal scepter and shining with glory on that account, he is a king in the real sense. 
So questions or comments about that, about true knowledge, which we're calling wisdom because we know about dependent variables, partial knowledge, which is like the blind men have, or these four categories of truth or how words convey meaning. That is name, symbolic truth, potential truth, and actual truth. Okay, so heavy stuff, right? So now we understand that now this sentence has a lot more meaning for us. Understanding of Jane logic helps a lot for tolerance. Nothing may be absolutely wrong and nothing may be absolutely right. All statements are true in their own perspective, but because of our inability to know substances as a whole, we cannot have complete knowledge of a substance. Only the omniscient Bhagavan has perfect knowledge, so he has complete knowledge. So you can say, you can see how if I didn't give you all that background and I just told you that last part, that summary part, you could see how you'd have a lot of problems with it, right? Like, wait, what do you mean nothing is absolutely wrong or nothing is absolutely right? Well, does that mean that truth doesn't exist? No, truth exists, but it's very hard for us to understand it. And when we are looking at things, we have to look at their perspectives. And when we're looking at those perspectives, we have to realize the limitations of language. And while we're realizing the limitations of language, we have to try to figure out whether what we're reading or hearing is symbolic truth, potential truth, just a name, which is just a placeholder given to some idea. Uh, so it's extremely complicated. But if I were to ju have just read you that part, you'd have been totally confused and you'd have a million questions, right? So what does all that have to do with Anikantvad? Well, the book says, we worship the su Supreme Soul by respectfully remembering and muttering his name, worshiping his image, which is a symbolic truth, and worshiping, worshiping him by, it says him, but it's a soul, by devotedly serving the spiritual leader because the real spiritual teacher can be regarded as the supreme soul in potentia. Okay? So, in this way, these types of truths lead to bhav nikshepsa, or actual truth. That is, if we study and understand the first three types of truth, we will get to the actual truth eventually. And this is what life is. Okay? This is what life is, is studying and this is what our kids are doing <clears throat> first we give our kids names of things they repeat the names and they have no idea what the names mean but just repeating it is enough just to know that this is a pencil this is a book these are the types of animals these are the types of vegetables just to know the name is one type of knowledge that's how we start we have to start from somewhere then we have symbolic mean meanings right well my kid has never actually seen a camel but she's seen a camel in books and pictures. So she has a kind of a symbolic understanding of what a camel is. And then we have uh, our partial point of view, right? Well, we've seen, let's say, I guess to continue with this camel uh, example. Well, now she's seen a camel, but she's only seen it on a particular day. And it, that was an adult. And she doesn't realize that there are, you know, there, there are baby camels. And that was that one particular camel on one particular day right? Uh, so that she has partial point of view. 
It is only until she's been with many camels, she's seen many camels with her own eyes, she's seen baby camels, she's seen sick camels, she's seen dead camels, then she starts to accumulate wisdom about camels, right? And that's our life, that's our life with everything, with every potential subject we have. That is, first we learn the name, and then we learn partial points of view, we'll see it in a book, then we maybe get to meet get to live that experience or we get to see that Mona Lisa with our own eyes or, you know, we get to see a waterfall and then we have just kind of a partial point of view. Well, we experience that one thing at that time in that way. And then if we do it enough, we'll start to actually know the truth about things. And that's what happens with Jainism. That's how we learn Jainism. That's how we go through life. That's how we learn Jainism. That's how we learn reality. And so taking all these things into account, it might be that when people give you opposite advice, they are both true. That op seemingly opposite statements are all true from their perspective. We talk about this all the time. I am going to give you opposite advice based on where you are on your spiritual path. To my kids, I'm going to say, you should do as much good karma as possible. But to somebody who's along the spiritual path, I'm saying, well, isn't it time to stop doing good karma? Isn't it time to start getting rid of all your karma? Wouldn't you be better served by that? Well, these are two opposite things. To one, I'm saying do good karma. To one, I'm saying not good karma. They are both true, depending on their perspective, depending on the context of the situation. So now we see opposite advice, but uttered by different people, and sometimes we say these can't be reconciled. They can be reconciled. Seemingly opposite things can be true because everything has a perspective. And that's what Anikantvad is. Anikantvad is asking us, is reminding us to be humble. We know reality. Okay, reality is in this book. We know what reality is. But we are like this book is giving us a partial sliver of reality, like our eyes give us a partial sliver of the world. And if we thought we knew everything because we know everything in this book, we are sorely mistaken. We are blind. We are one of the blind men looking at reality that Mahavir Swami told us, and we're trying to interpret it, and we're saying, hey, we're on this path, I'm on this spiritual path, but that doesn't mean that whatever somebody else says is wrong because I don't understand what perspective that person is coming from. That doesn't mean that two seemingly opposite points of view can't be reconciled because I don't understand what those perspectives are. And I don't frankly don't even understand the full reality. And it's teaching me to be humble. Even though I know this truth and I know I know more than anybody else about this truth, anybody that I know about this truth, I should be humble because I know so little that other things could be true and other points of view, in fact, are true and other people are true and other the things that other people say, even though um, they might contradict with what I think, they're true. And that's what Anikantvad is. So questions or comments about that? Hey, uh, Tim, um, just a f couple of uh, observations and then a question for you. Sure. 
First, um, I appreciate you bringing this topic for discussion. It's, uh, you know, we we touched upon it last uh, last meeting, and um, uh, I think it was at, towards the end of the meeting, so I really appreciate you bringing this up. Second, um, this is by far, I think, the most attractive elements of Jainism for me personally. Okay, uh, I find, I mean, I, I'm not a scholar, I'm not a, you know, I haven't studied other religions, for that matter, even Jainism, I haven't studied it deeply. Uh, but I, I don't think there is, um, at least to my knowledge, uh, any other religion that gives you the um, freedom to, to in, you know, incorporate multiple perspectives. You know, you're always said, this is it, there's one God, or there's one, you know, force, and that force is uh, always right, and you just, you know, follow that, follow that uh, force. And uh, so, this is something that has stuck with me right from the beginning. You know, I used to go to Patshala when I was in Bombay uh, at a very young age, and the the teacher there i remember told me <clears throat> one day he, the uh and, and this was in relation to this ekantwad issue he said I, I i made some comment and i said no no i'm wrong and he said no you're not wrong you're not wrong i am not wrong i am not right you're not right you just have to understand that there are many ways of looking at things and your pursuit of knowledge continues and that's exactly i think what you touched upon as well now my question to you is this we are all learning we are all trying to gain that complete complete knowledge but my my thinking uh, or, or the way I look at a Kantwad issue is not about what level of knowledge you have. It's whatever level, whether you're at a very basic level or very advanced level, right? The, the examples you gave uh, about the karma, you know, you say something uh, different to your kids as opposed to somebody who's way along. It doesn't matter what level you are. The concept of never having an absolute absolute authority to to make a definite claim is what makes it makes it unique. In other words, even if you are at a very advanced level, very advanced level, you can't claim that you are you are right and that others are not. Is that how you look at it, or is there? I mean, is that something? Uh, is is that not the way you would look at it? No, I think that's exactly right. Now let's give an example of, let's say, me where I am, and a very advanced Jain scholar, okay, who knows much more about Jainism than I'll ever know. And I say, and I ask that person, he or she, a question about how it relates to my life and what I should do with my life. <clears throat> regarding Jainism. That person, based on what we've learned today, that person 
doesn't know everything going on in my life, doesn't know really what I mean when I ask the question, that person knows what that question means to him, what how he might interpret that question and how he might apply it to his life. And he's going to give me an answer based on that. And I am well within my rights and well within Jainism to say, well, that doesn't apply to me. You know, this person can do that, but I got to go to work every day and drive my car every day or whatever. So I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to try to take what advice that person gave me and try to implement it in my life the way I know how to do it. Because in my five minutes I had with that person, I couldn't convey everything that's going on behind that question because my whole life was leading up to that question. All my experiences in my life was leading up to that question. So that's right. In Jainism, I am well within my rights to say, okay, I'm going to take that and apply it to my life. I'm not going to take that as, well, that's the absolute answer, uh, you know, that this person said and I was wrong. So you're exactly right. That's what we've been talking about. Excellent stuff. Thank you very much. No problem. And you brought up a great point is that this is how corruption happens. When there is one absolute truth, then the people responsible for interpreting that truth are in positions of power, right? And if they say, this is what God means when he said that, and I am the interpreter of God, and God says you should do this, and a million people go to war because of that, right? Or some corruption happens and everybody donates money to a corrupt cause and that then these prophets are enriching themselves based on being an interpreter of the absolute truth so that's one good thing hopefully we don't see i i haven't heard that many stories of about jane prophets doing that and hopefully that's because of this anikanthal idea that we are not as susceptible to that kind of problems as other religions are so no, absolutely. I mean, that, that was one of the things that, uh, you, you know, has uh, been a sore point with me with, you know, the other religions where, where we are, they, are, they, they inform us that you are, you know, not to pick on any particular religion, but, you know, you know you're, you're, you're an infidel and therefore you are not allowed this or that and this is where you're going to be. That's absolutism. That's like saying, this is how it's going to be, take it or leave it, and uh, no. Right. Uh, I, I hear exactly what, you know, the, the, the direction you, you were pointing to. So, questions or comments about anything we talked about before we move on to a completely different subject? Okay. So I have recently come across this book. It is called Jainism for Children, The 24 Founders. And I recommend it for you, especially if you have kids. It is written by Nish Shah. He's the brother of Neil Shah, dad's class member. Um, we can ask Neil about it whenever he's on next. And it's illustrated by Roberto Gonzalez. And so it's a one page story and illustration for each of the 24 Tirthankars. And so it's a beautiful book, and it's great to introduce um, if you have little kids. And it's great to make it real for them, right? Because like we just talked about, right? First, we learn by understanding the names. And then so the kids know the names like Adinath and Parshvanath and Mavirna, uh, Mavir Swami. But then this kind of gives them that symbolic look, right? 
Um, this gives them a little picture and a little story. As we talked about many times, stories are the way we um, communicate and remember information. So let me uh, put the let me put the link for the book in the chat, and so that way you can have it. And I'll do it in the uh, I'll put it in the WhatsApp. I just put an Amazon link. Um, you can maybe find it other places. Um, I'll put it in the WhatsApp and then we can help support one of uh, Jainism and one of uh, one of our members. So let's just read one story here. There are 24 or so. It's a, it's, a, it's a really good gift, um, right. especially for like newborns and things like that. Um, well-written book. Uh, it's hard enough to write something for yourself. It's even harder to write it for someone else and get it published. So, uh, well done to Nish, you know. Goshik, pick a number between one and 24 and we'll read that one. All right, eight. Eight, okay. We're just gonna read eight here. Eight. Chandra Prabha. Queen Lakshmana loved standing in the balcony of her palace and staring out into the moonlit night. One night, a strong urge to drink the milk of the glowing moon overcame her. Immediately after, the queen gave birth to her newborn son. His fair and radiant skin reminded the queen of the moon, and for this reason he was named Chandraprabha, shining like the moon. King Chandraprabha made advancements in the field of agriculture and ensured that his citizens could harvest their own food. So that is the eighth Tirthankar, Chandraprabha. So definitely check that out and uh, give give Nish your support. So questions or comments about anything we talked about today? Okay, thank you very much. I really appreciate you giving me your time. Stay warm and I hope that we all get through this next week. Thank you, Timmer. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Thank you.